Today's reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellences excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, good morning and, and thank you for joining us today. I'm absolutely loving this series uh, as we talk about the church, as we rediscover God's purpose for the church. It's a subject I'm personally so passionate about. I really believe in God's church. I really believe in, in you, the church. Um, I remember a while back, God was kind of challenging me where I think I had kind of places where I was, I was frustrated about church and church in general. Uh, and, and God just really challenged me. He's like, Tim, this is my bride. And if you, if you can't love my bride, what would it be like for you to be at my wedding? And, and that just really challenged me that actually uh, kind of our love and our passion for the church as God's plan and God's purpose is something that we need to invest in and believe in. So I believe in the church and I'm really excited about this series. Um, Last week we had the privilege of Sana uh, sharing on the church as the body of Christ and how this metaphor really challenges us in the way we relate to and the way we honour each other uh, according to how Christ loves us. And so this week we're discussing the church as the building of God. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, he says, For you are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And And... And I suppose my question today is, what is it about this analogy which defines the church? And what can we learn and implement as a result of this? Uh, there's a great video on the Bible Project website. They do lots of really good videos, um, which has helped me answer some of these questions. So I just want to give that a shout out because it's been really helpful for me. Um, so let's get started. Why a building? Why does Paul describe this as a building? Quite simply, a building is a dwelling place. It's designed to house people or things. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, uh, Nathan the prophet is sent to David and God says, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I.e. the house is about dwelling in. So when we say we're the building of God, it, it is that simple. The church is described as God's building because we have the awesome privilege of being the place he chooses to dwell on earth. It's us. The almighty God chooses to dwell in his church. He chooses to dwell in you. 
You see, God has this amazing intention uh, to dwell, which we see kind of throughout scripture, this amazing heart to just dwell with man, to be with us. And so I'm going to do this like really quick run through scripture, but there's, there's, there's some really good thread that I want us to pick up in this of just seeing how God is, is so keen to dwell amongst his people. So if we start in Genesis, Genesis 1 starts with God building creation and he works for six days and then what? It says he rests, he, he dwells in creation. The message of Genesis 1 and 2 is really clear. God created humanity uh, to dwell with him and bear his image in the world. And for a brief moment at the beginning of time, there was no need for a temple structure. All humankind lived in harmony with each other, nature and with God. Um, it didn't go so well following that. Humans rebelled uh, and in doing so they get alienated from God's dwelling place. They're forced to leave the garden, but God has a plan to restore this relationship. So let's fast forward a fair amount of time uh, to the Exodus where God gives Moses the blueprint for a tent, a tabernacle, which could move with the people of Israel uh, so God could dwell with them as they make their journey into the promised land. In Exodus 25 it says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. However, this tabernacle was quite exclusive. It was accessible only to the Levites. Uh, and, and in doing so, God dwelt with his people, but there was still kind of a barrier between. There wasn't this ability for him to be right in the midst of them. So fast forward again, uh, and God finds himself a man after his own heart, King David. And what King David does is he retrieves the Ark of the Covenant, which had been captured by the Philistines. And instead of restoring it to the tabernacle of Moses, he sets up his own tabernacle, his own tent in Jerusalem and puts the Ark in there. Why is this important? You see, in the priests at that point still continued to offer sacrifices at the tabernacle of Moses. But in David's tabernacle, worship and prayer were established constantly. People, usually outcasts, including Gentiles, suddenly had access to the dwelling place of God. Everyone able to freely come and worship God. Following this, David decides he wants to build God a house. Um, God talks to him a little bit tongue-in-cheek following this. Uh, he sends Nathan the prophet to speak to him. Uh, and this is from 2 Samuel 7. He says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you, talking to David, that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers i will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and i will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever David is given this incredible prophecy that, that not only points to his successor Solomon, but more importantly points to Christ. David takes this prophecy, however, as a, as a sure sign that his son Solomon is meant to build God a permanent, immovable dwelling place on earth. And he prepares the work for Solomon to build the temple. He kind of gets all the resources in place, he gets the plans in place, so Solomon can just say, go, and it begins. That, in doing so, in Solomon building the temple, the, the tents are replaced by a permanent structure. Uh, and this temple is labelled a house of prayer for all nations. And through this temple, God not only manifested his love and care to Israel, but to anyone from any culture who would come there to worship him. It's looking pretty good, right? We've got this, this beautiful temple. 
But just like in the garden, again, man rebels, Israel rebels, and God lifts his presence from them, and Jerusalem is sacked and the temple is destroyed. It's time for the real deal. In John 1.14, it says, God as Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt there is the, same, is the same meaning and connotation as that word dwelling from way back at the tabernacle, Moses' tabernacle in the desert. God wanted to dwell with his people. In John 2, Jesus describes himself as the temple, the new dwelling place of God on earth, not a building of bricks and mortar, but bodily in a man of Christ. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Christ himself is the temple, living and active, permanent and mobile, available to the Jew and to the Gentile, to the Samaritan. He was Emmanuel, God dwelling with us. And Christ is the perfect prototype of God dwelling with man. And through the Holy Spirit, this continues through his disciples. The New Testament writers continue to use temple language, but they are no longer concerned with, with a building. Incredibly, when they, when they write about the temple, they talk about the people of God. The Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? The church is the building of God. And, and this is where we are kind of in the, in the timeline of God's plan. Now God chooses to dwell amongst his people through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. But he isn't done yet. In the very last chapters of the Bible, John writes about this extraordinary vision of heaven after Jesus returns. In Revelation 21 and 22, there's this description of the new city of God. But something is conspicuously missing. It's the temple. There's no temple in the new Jerusalem. And why would there be? Because Jesus himself is right there with his people. John says, And I saw no temple in it, in the city, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God comes to dwell with us. We know how this story ends. As we look to the end of the story, what, what we lost in the beginning, you know, the garden is restored. God himself is dwelling with his people. So that's it. We've done Genesis to Revelation in five minutes. So uh, that's the plan of God to dwell with his people. And, and at this current point in time, that dwelling place, like I said, it's us. It's in the church. It's the building of God that we are, his people filled with his Holy Spirit. So how do we, the church, fulfill this call? How do we, how do we take a hold of this and implement this and really walk in it? 1 Peter 2, our, ch- our uh, passage today says this, You yourselves are like living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's all about us being built up as a place of worship for God to dwell in us. Like any building, the church begins from its cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20, it talks about us being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. If we want to dwell with God, if we want to be the resting place of his presence, and believe me, I want that with all my heart, Jesus must be our cornerstone. He must be our point of reference. Just as a cornerstone would have outlined the parameters of the building, his gospel must be our defining parameters as a church. 
with our cornerstone defined, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And this speaks of God's word. You know, our Bibles are not optional reading. They are key to our foundations, key to our stability through trials and, and essential to our proper growth. If we want his presence, we must value his word. These foundations are added onto by the church. Each one of us a living stone. Paul describes it like this. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You're his building. According to the grace God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Paul talks about this continual building by the church on top of each other. God gives gifts to his church in order to continue this building. If we read Ephesians 4, it says he, gives the, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. So not only are we, are we building on the cornerstone of Christ, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the word of God, but from this, the Holy Spirit has given us the gifts to carry on building up the church. We build upon each other. This is my key takeaway from today, this next point. And honestly, if you forget the rest, that's okay. I can send you notes, but please allow yourselves to hear this. God's mission is to reveal himself through relationship. And his church is the dwelling place he has chosen to do this through. From here, from this, from this cornerstone foundation, we must make every effort to allow Holy Spirit to build us up to be his church. Not our own idea of what that should look like. Ephesians 2.22, it says, In him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It is him who is building us and it is God who builds his church. In Matthew 16, Jesus makes it clear to Peter. He says, on, on, on this rock, on you, I will build my church. Jesus will build his own church. God will prepare his own dwelling place, just as he gave Moses the blueprints all those years ago. And what I mean by this is we must resist the urge to build God a box, to try and presuppose his works and grace whether through lofty theology or rampant liberalism the church has a knack of trying to box God in and 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 when they do that his presence lifts just as it did in Jerusalem all those years ago Psalm 127 said this unless the Lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain it is not our job to build a pretty church. And I'm not even talking about a building. I'm talking about us as a community and organization. It's not our job to build a pretty church, to, to define where God will dwell and where he won't dwell, to define who's in and who's not in. That's not our job. In Acts 7, Stephen brings us back to the David's building of the temple. He said, so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. And listen to this last bit. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. He does not dwell in the constructs of man. So where does he dwell? He dwells in the hearts of a worshipful people. This is what it means to be his building. He dwells in the hearts of worshipful people, a people after his own heart. In Revelation, there is not a temple, but just a throne. And this is really key, the throne from which all life, the glory and presence of God flow. 
And of all the great tabernacles and, and temples of the Old Testament, none appear in Revelation. Instead, just one is promised to be restored. And this is in Amos chapter 9. It says, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David. Not the tabernacle of Moses, not the temple of Solomon, but the booth of David. As such, the, the church, us as the building of God, it, it's not a temple for us to contain God, but rather a, a people to enthrone God. Just as David's tabernacle signified the restoration of prayer and praise in Israel for, for all to come and lift high the king of kings. David writes in Psalm 22, he says, yet you are holy enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And so this throne we see in Revelation, this is what we are called to, to do even now as a church, that our praises would enthrone him. We must make every effort to allow Holy Spirit to build his church, guided by Christ our cornerstone, built on the foundation of his word, built up through the gifts given to his people, all for one purpose, that our worship would welcome his dwelling, his presence, God Emmanuel. Let's pray together. Lord, we right now, if we have not done this before, and we have, but God, right now we submit our hearts to you and we say, God, will you build your church? Father, I just want to come to you even as, as, as a leader in the body of Christ and just repent of, of, of where we try to build something neat and containable and, 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 and welcome you into a tiny box. God, we do not want that. We want you to build your church, you to define your own dwelling place, Lord. And God, would we instead be so focused on enthroning you with our praises, worshipping you wholeheartedly, Lord, we want to be a place of your dwelling. We want to be a place of your presence in an ever-increasing measure. So, Lord, would you gift us? Would you enable us? Would you encourage us? Would you lead us to do that? We recognize you are the head of your church, Christ. You are the cornerstone. Come and lead us as a church to honor you in everything we do. To be more focused on your worship than trying to define you or box you in. We just love you, Lord. We're so thankful for you and for your church. And I ask even, even now for all of us in our hearts, would you stir up an excitement in our hearts that we are the place you have chosen to dwell, of this incredible privilege we have to witness to the whole world that the God, the King of Kings who created all the heavens has chosen to dwell with man. And we thank you, Lord, for that privilege. Amen.